to episode 10 of So Fly. We're, uh, we're here at the end of May. It's May 28th or something like that. 28th. 28th. We're up in Tomogamy, Tomogamy, Ontario with, uh, with our guest for this uh, show. And we also have, of course, we've got Gav over here is laughing because his uh, nose was making some air on the mic earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and I was picking up my monitor pretty good. That's a good laugh. Oh, goodness. That's a good laugh for sure. Okay, I'm back. Uh, but first, it's uh, Mitch here, Yilma. Hey. Gab. Yeah. What's up? And, uh, yeah, we've come up into the woods. We've escaped Toronto, driven four hours, five hours north to uh, get into some fishing and uh, and explore the backcountry and do some paddling with uh, with our friend Eric, who's, uh, who's, like I said, is our guest for this show. Eric, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Uh, Eric is the uh, running um, Tomogamy Outfitting up here. So Tomogamy Outfitting, why don't you tell us a little bit about that just to get things started? Well, Tomogamy Outfitting is one of the oldest outfitting companies in Canada, founded in 1926. Uh, we offer a range of services from shuttles uh, to access points. Uh, we rent canoes. We do full outfitting as well, food, uh, guiding, uh, route uh, advice. Uh, basically, if you want to go into the backcountry in Tomogamy, we can we can facilitate that in many different ways. Awesome. So we've actually spent, this is our third day now, mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday. We got here Thursday night, so this is our third day, Sunday. We spent the whole weekend just in the backwoods, just running around. And I feel revitalized. Oh, man. like it's I, feel been like, I feel exhausted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exhausted and, and foggy. <laughs> I'm feeling super good. But we made it up here, and it's been really good. It's been really good. So the first day, let's go on, but talk about the first day. Yeah, you got some sunburn going on there. Yeah, I haven't worn cream, because I brought long shirts, but today we're t-shirts. Shirts. I think we all uh, got a little face, bit. Yeah. Your face, Mitch, is like it's, literally... It's like lit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you look right. like a lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I should a have bearded lobster. I wasn't thinking about it, you know? Yeah. I wasn't thinking about it at all. But yeah, first day was awesome. Hey, we went to this uh, this trail to Lake Jack Pine. Jack Pine Lake, and it was quite of a drive with the coming line. Yeah, bou- bouncing in the trail. Yeah, what do you know about Jack Pine? Uh, well, uh, Jack Pine came into my uh, field of reference when those guys came up from New York and Boston uh, two weeks ago, and they they were up there. And you guys saw the pictures. Oh, I think man. I think you shared them on your page. These just yeah. giant pike, and and they were just, you know, they were catching them with impunity. And and uh, the suckers were running, so the, these big pike would just sort of sit behind the suckers in the creek and wait wait for one to fall out of line, and they'd snag it. Yeah. And these guys were catching these big beautiful pike, so I thought we would go there. And they said we have uh when we were portaging back we 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 realized there's a road there and i think you could drive there because they saw a cottage on the lake so i had never driven that road before and that might be one of the craziest roads i've ever driven in my life that was uh <laughs> it was kind of madness i hope you guys got a lot of good footage of that oh, because we did we did hey we crossed a creek at some yeah. point yeah which we usually usually draw yeah we we really yeah. needed to have one of those land rover snorkel yeah. uh, <laughs> totally yeah. so they oh, portaged I think, I think, they portaged into that lake yeah so they they portaged down from a um, tindall they put it in a lake called Tyndall, and then there's a creek. So we saw that creek that was on the side of the road. Yeah. So they paddled all the way down that just huh. to get to Jack Pine um, and into Chamber. 
Chamber Lake, which is another one that's just south of there. But we would have had to have portaged into that. And they said that was really good fishing in there as well. Yeah, Chamber. Uh, they caught a bunch of big pike and a, a big bass in there. Awesome. But we would have had to have portaged. It would have just turned the day into an overnight. And, yeah. you know, we would have had to just focus on not catching northern pike. Well, that's so, the thing. Like, uh, we, were, we were really enjoying, like, the accommodations, you know. Yeah. We a big, like, house here and yeah. right in the water and a sweet-ass barbecue uh, yeah. egg. Yeah. Fuck the thing's sweet. We were like cooking up. Well, we'll get into that, but it was. Uh, yeah. But uh, the canoe as well, eh? The, that that brand new canoe that we got to try. Yeah, the Abitibico uh, yeah. Blue Water. Yeah, yeah, water. yeah. that was yeah. nice. Sawgeen. Right? Yeah, very nice canoe for two person. Awesome. We were Yilma and I were in that thing out on uh, on a lake and uh, paddling around was like effortless. It's so smooth. It was a nice boat. Nice and stable. Yeah. yeah. Nice and stable. Good fly fishing canoe, really. Yeah. You can stand in it, too. And light. Yeah. 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 Stand on it for, for fly casting. Yeah. If you're by yourself, though. Yeah. Man. It's wide enough. Mm-hmm. Well, that first day, was it was really fun out on that lake. I mean, yeah, the road was insane. We went down uh, Red Squirrel, right? We went down to Red Squirrel, and then we turned left onto that trail slash road, it doesn't have a name. I'm just calling it Jack Pine Lake Road. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And we were on that road for probably about half an hour, would yeah. you say? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And there were moments where each tire on the van was on a separate suspension. You know, <laughs> just, the van will never be the same. I think it's rattling now, actually, in a weird way. And I blame it all on that road. Yeah. That road was yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. We got some footage of that, too, because we're actually down here putting together a video of just tomography. We want to show everybody, you know, how awesome it is up here. And how accessible it is too. Like we were driving into lakes that were pretty, pretty wicked lakes. Like the structure, the size, everything about them was just like, like awesome. Wild too. Like sometimes they didn't even have like some lake didn't even have a cottage on them. So it, no. it's literally just a drive it's too late. It's wilderness. Too late. Yeah. A drive too late. Yeah, yeah. wilderness. Yeah. True wilderness. Yeah. yeah. And again, you know, we we were just talking about this uh, before we started recording, but. The uh, this is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Yeah. So yeah, you, know, you gave us a general. Outward. There's only there's only yeah. so much you can do in yeah. in this <laughs> span of time. But if you look at the map, you you know what some of the routes are. It's you could lose yourself for days back there. Yeah, so yeah. a month. We need a month. We need yeah. to come for an entire month. Yeah. 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 Imagine the number of drones you'd Imagine. go through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Hey, that was that was my third time uh, flying a drone. Yeah, we took that so, thing for a yeah. took that thing for a rip. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. We're missing a tree. Yeah, so it, need, it needed to be drone. Uh, I'll, I'll give people an advice about drone. Whatever you use a drone out of a duck, if be careful if you press the come back automatic button because it might land. Oh my god! Do you want guys want to know what happened here? We'll just rip into this really quick before we just jump into everything. But <laughs> so we were like up at Eric's uh, cabin on an island on Lake Tomogamy, and uh, it was about like a half hour boat ride from where we're at. Yep, in that little boat. Yeah. yeah. And so we were like, this is an awesome place to take a drone out. Uh, not a whole lot of places to take off a drone on the island. Lots of trees. There's a dock. So we log- Gab launches it from the dock. Sends it up pretty high, I don't know, like 200 feet in the air, and then, like, brings it down and hits automatic landing, and it tried to land in the water. <laughs> tried to land in the lake. <laughs> There's a moment of panic, and then Gab launched it back up. Everybody's freaking out. Cut down a tree. Crash landed. But Land- the drone's fine. Yeah, landed on ground. Yeah. Everything is fine. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm still trying to figure out uh, what Yoma was thinking. Was he going to catch it like a football? I think he like, was going to catch it. I've seen before and by the end all under it. Basically, I was swimming. I was swimming right, right underneath this drone, uh, thinking, okay, should I grab it from below um, with the two handles or, or get my fingers cut off? And I decided to like just yell at Gab. And when he yelled, he pruned uh, pruned uh, Eric's tree, so he has a nice uh, yeah, nice prune cedar. Nice prune cedar. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, but yeah, like Mitch said, the drone is fine. So Zach, if you're listening, thank you for letting us borrow this amazing Phantom Four. Um, it's in perfect condition. You really were willing to take one for the team, though, to make sure oh, that I drone was, didn't yeah. land in the water. Absolutely. You, you were <laughs> going to die. My fingers for you, Zach. You were going to die before that thing landed yeah. in the water. Absolutely. Okay. But let's take a, let's take a step back. Let's take a step back. We jumped into what we're what, everything what we're doing down here and everything like that. But for people who don't know what tomogamy is, because we we have listeners who aren't familiar with it, so why don't we, you know, Eric? Why don't we jump into just the general like what is tomogamy? Well, tomogamy is uh, a wilderness region. Uh, it's like we said, 450 kilometers north of Toronto, and I, I, I like to think of it as the uh, the nearest true wilderness to Toronto. It's the most accessible wilderness uh, available to people living in southern Ontario. Uh, it consists of uh, five parks, uh, backcountry parks, and they make up about two and a half million acres. And then the remaining area is Crown Land, which makes up about the same amount of of area and. Uh, thirty, I think it's thirty-four, thirty-five hundred kilometers of canoe routes in the region, and you can you can just go forever. It's insane. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's amazing. Like it's a massive, massive area, and like when we look at the map, it's dotted with lakes and rivers. Just insane amounts of water to cover. Like, and that's what you said. Like, well, yeah, there's no way we barely even saw anything. You know, we saw some lakes and we saw some rivers and amazing stuff around around town around the town of Tamagami. Yeah, but it's like there's so much wilderness to still explore that like we got to take like some canoes and like fucking go into the and bush for like two weeks. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean it'd be great to jump on uh, a Lakeland float plane and land just at the top end of Lady Evelyn and paddle down that river and it's it's named the that trout streams. Yeah, an amazing trip. Yeah. Taking yeah. a float plane somewhere. It's pretty cool up there too. It'd like, be amazing. Okay, so Tomogamy then. Like, how long have you been coming to Tomogamy for? I've been coming up here since 1988. I started my uh, my life as a canoe uh, tripping kind of person uh, when I went to Camp Wabacon as a CIT and did a big trip there. Um, the first canoe trip I ever went on was a 10-day trip from Tomogamy Island to a place called Gauganda, which is the northwestern part of the Tomogamy region. And I remember when we got picked up at the end of the trip, it was like a three-hour drive to get back home. So you realize how far away you can actually yeah. get, and that's that's just if you look at that trip on a map, it's it's a straight shot from Tomogamy Island to the northwestern part of Tomogamy. So you you could have you know had that trip take forty days if you wanted to. Wow. Um, there's just a huge a, a huge amount of, of, of paddling you can do here, and it's not uncommon for people to come into the shop and and. Uh, go on a trip, they'll rent a canoe, and, and they'll do uh, the western region, um, Obabaca River, Provincial Park, Sturgeon River, and, and they'll go for 14 days. And if you look at the route they actually did, it's it's kind of a small part of the area. Mm-hmm. You realize how vast it is. Mm-hmm. And so they're up there just camping along the way, like wherever yeah. they want? Yeah, and it, it's, it's really cool because we're still at that point here where 
Uh, people don't know about this place. They don't know about it like they know about Killarney and Algonquin Park. So yeah. there's no reservation system. You have to get permits. Um, but Permits to be able to just paddle around just, and camp just, wherever? No, just to camp oh, okay. in the park. But you don't have to think about where you're going to camp. You don't have yeah. to have an itinerary that says we're going to be on this site on this day at right. this time. And so it's pure adventure. It's adventure. It's kind of, it's, you know, those guys that came up from, from New York, they were, they were comparing it to the Adirondacks, and, and they, were, they just said, you know, you can't even go there. It's booked solid a year in advance. Yeah. Uh, it's, so it's, established. Yeah, and if you're not on the site you're supposed to be on, they get you to move, and it's just, I would think that's a stressful feeling. You know, I, so I, stressful. We have it right here. Yeah. We, and, and, and times 10. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is... Yeah. So much more untouched. Yeah. Like, places like the Adirondacks or even Algonquin yeah. are basically like hiking trails. Well, Algonquin's... It, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, who's going to slam Algonquin? But it, it's... You know, if you look at a lot of the portages, uh, you're, you're sort of shuffled along in Algonquin. Yeah. You're shuffled along in Killarney. If it's too boggy and muddy at the end of a portage, magically next year there's a there's a deck of pressure-treated wood that you can walk across it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've, seen, I've seen so many photos of that deck. Like that the, shit is non-existent in Tomogamy. Yeah. If, you're, if, if it's a muddy bog, you're, you're knee-deep in the goo, and yeah. you just have to deal with it. So you... you you get that sense when you're here that you're 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 the first person that's done that. You're the mm-hmm. first person that was here, mm-hmm. um, and and you're less likely to see people uh, in the backcountry here to the same to the same extent that you do in those places. Well, you were telling us about somebody, somebody well, you guys were gone or someone was gone for a long time. They, never, they didn't see some like nobody for. We had a guy come in last year who'd hiked the uh, who was going to hike the Ottawa to Miskaming Highland Trail, mm-hmm. and he came back two weeks later. And he said he didn't see a single person That's on a awesome. two-week hiking trip. That's crazy. And that was in August. Yeah. That's, that's I mean, that's, awesome. that's madness. That's that yeah. is insane. I have a route here that uh, when people tell me uh, in August, in July or August, they don't want to see anyone. Uh, Hap Wilson's route number nine, if anyone listening out there knows the, uh, the Tamagami Canoe Roots book. No one paddles that loop, and it's gorgeous. Yeah? And it's and just no, like untouched. It's a, why don't they? I don't know. It's a four or five day loop, and it's got some 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 good walks on it. I think a lot of people can get intimidated by. I think it has seventeen portages. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a lot of the times in Tamagami, the 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 more you portage, the, the the more you're paid off at the end of that portage. Mm-hmm. Especially like the, the trout streams where we were talking about sending you guys up yeah. on the Lady Evelyn in the Falls route. Those are those are crazy portages. You you know, there's a hundred meter portage in there called Fat Man Squeeze, which is a harder portage than the five kilometer portage from Bonfield to Dixon on in Algonquin Park. What makes it hard? It's just straight up, straight down. It's a hundred meters. It takes about forty minutes to do the portage, no and it's treacherous. But when you get to the bottom of it, there's a beautiful waterfall. There's a great campsite. You feel like you're yeah, in, you've accomplished like yeah. you've got, you've earned that, you're, and you're yeah. on you're on the set of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. I want to do it. We should yeah. totally do that. And drop a couple pounds. And yeah. Yeah, like, you guys drop some pounds. They yeah, call it Fat Man yeah. Squeeze you'll because <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. they call it Fat Man Squeeze because there's one part where you're portaging, you got the canoe on your shoulders, yeah. and there's a crevasse you have to walk through, yeah. and you have to turn your body sideways to, to get, get your through body it. through it because that's awesome. It, and, and if you're if you're too fat, even if you turn your body sideways, you just get wedged. Nice. So, <laughs> well, you guys will go on without me. It'll be yeah. good. Well, I'll be fine. No, you're coming. Yeah. Well, I'll yeah. just bring some Vaseline. 
Just lube it up. Joke's not landed on Gavin. Yeah, just lube it up. Yeah, lube it up. A little bit of WD. I got some Vaseline. Get some some bacon grease from the morning breakfast. So wait, who's Hap Wilson? Hap Wilson uh, is one of the the folks that sort of brought tomogamy to uh, mainstream attention. He wrote a book in the mid-70s called Tomogamy Canoe Roots. And he basically... Uh, spent a few years just paddling all these different routes in tomogamy and uh, describing them and, and drawing maps. He's a fantastic artist as well. Yeah. And uh, he published these books, and, and they were just super successful. And to this day, uh, those books are sort of the Bible mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, telling people where to go, what they can expect to see. And I know in the store, when, when people ask us about canoe trips, I refer to that book all the time. I said, well, that's, that's route, perhaps route number six. Yeah. Um, you can go buy the book or we have it here and that'll just give you a great idea as to what you're doing. And you, you combine that with those maps that I showed you, Jeff's maps, um, that, that amazing, uh, resource that, uh, that Jeff Mc, I think it's, it's Jeff McMurdy. Now, now it's run by a, a guy named Eric Kim, really nice guy. And he, uh, they put these maps together that really lay out, Tomogamy in five different regions. You got five different maps. They're made of Tyvek. They're waterproof, ripproof, and they've got the distance between points and the distance in portages and, and uh, interesting uh, information written up on these maps about what you can expect to see here, where petroglyphs are, and, and and that sort of thing. So those two resources combined can pretty much put anyone out on a trip without having to uh, uh, really get a guide or if, if they have the basic skills to go canoeing and camping um, you've got it right there cool. yeah. there's really nothing more I, c- I could tell someone than those two yeah. something something for me yeah perfect for you yeah. you, you need all the help you can get uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> so we were drinking so we are drinking Bob Cajun and we finished our four Bob Cajuns the Bob it's Cajuns are done it's over that's you did it you know, that Hall of Bob Cajun not being here anymore and being gone. It's impressive. It's it's kind of weird. Like I, I, yeah. when you guys showed up with all that beer, I just <laughs> yeah. I couldn't imagine needing to get more. Yeah, I know. That's and here we are. A hundred percent. Sunday night. I thought I didn't think come we back were, with some. I didn't think I, I thought we would have a few. We could leave with you and well, and, you know. I mean, we really have to uh, uh, give credit to Jeff, who's who left earlier today. I think I think he was a big part of helping finish. The absolutely, home, yeah. So. Jeff was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that Jeff guy is cool. I hang with him. Man. Yeah, Jeff is cool. Jeff's great. Everybody loves Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Everybody loves Jeff. Jeff is a cool He's a dude. Good dude. And he was fishing with us too, and he had a spinning uh, line in, and he was, uh, you know, you guys both had spinning lines in. Yeah. Worms. worms and spinners and yeah. spoons and everything. And they weren't touching that either. No, they weren't biting those. I mean, it was a tough, it's, the thing is, it's the end of May, and the, the weather's been weird. We were talking to Gord. Yeah. And do you want, who's Gord? Do you want to set up who Gord is? Because you know him better than us. Uh, Gord is a guy who lives in Tomogamy, originally from North Dakota. He's a Lakota First Nations. Great guy. I do a little work with him. He's the uh, regional territory owner slash rep for Abitibico Canoe Company. They make Blue Water and Scott Canoe. So he he has the territory. And, and we needed some canoes at Tomogamy Outfitting. And uh, Gord, Gord's a rep? Yeah, Gord. Oh. Yeah, Gord. It's not only a rep. He, he, it's his territory. Awesome. So um, you can't you can't buy or sell a canoe yeah. from. I think it's from 
uh, New Liskard to North Bay, um, an Abitibi canoe, without uh, Gord somehow having his hand in that deal. Oh, so, awesome. So we're actually going to be retailing the boats out of the Tomogamy uh, Outfitting retail uh, oh, yeah, yeah, right store. So there's awesome. going to be a bunch of those hanging in the ceiling. But anyways, Gord, very intuitive guy and uh, real deal outdoorsman, loves fishing and hunting. And and he said it. He said, no one's catching fish. Yeah. And Doug Adams said the same thing. He yeah. did yesterday. You know? Yeah, when we went down to Northland Paradise Lodge. And yep. he said, no one's catching fish and Doug, in Simcoe and Georgian Bay. And, and Doug is like... Uh, this guy is awesome. He's like oh. a trapper. He Doug is savage. In the winter. He is savage. He's savage. Doug is like, uh, yeah. oh, cheers, by the oh, way. Yeah, very cheers. Nice. We're on the Glenfiddich now. Yeah. Well, cheers, cheers, We're cheers. Cheers. Almost done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah doesn't he? Oh, wait, he pickled uh, um, suckers. Pickled suckers. He has yeah. jars of pickled sucker, and he had oh. a big cellar full of everything. Doug canned. will yeah. eat anything. Antlers. He'll eat anything. His, 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 his house. Is the basement. We went down there and we saw the, the canned food that he canned himself. And he's the guy that gets the call when a moose gets smoked by a transport rig, and he, he brings it back to his butcher shop in the basement there and yeah. saws it up. And that's what I love too is when he was talking about his hunting season last season. He's like, you normally we trap two hundred beavers, and you know he got I don't know fifty or sixty yeah. or something absurd still. Yeah. And then he was talking about raccoon hunting, and he's like, yeah, it wasn't a great year for raccoon hunting either. Raccoon hunting, um, and he was like, "So, but you know, I found a couple on the road. I picked up and yes. was able to get the fur off in good condition and yeah. toss it in a stew or whatever." Yeah. This guy's oh, a he badass. Lo- he guy. loves his raccoon. He'll eat that. Awesome. He'll eat the shit out of the raccoon <laughs> and a couple bucks and for a the pelts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He was talking about like the ver- the worth of the pelts and like yeah. unbelievable. But this guy's a huge fishing guy too. And even even he was saying like it's just a crazy time of year. Yeah. It's weird. No one's catching fish. His clients aren't catching fish. Yeah. And we were up here uh, fishing in uh, February, and again, it was a slow. It's been the it was weather. A slow thing, four man. days. You know, uh, Jeff caught a couple of Lakers. Yeah. We caught. He caught two Lakers, and our buddy Boris caught a white fish, and that was it. Yeah. And that's ten guys fishing hard for four days. Yeah. It's also been raining a lot. The water's high. The water's the, high. The duck is yeah. a little bit underwater. Yeah. And it's cold, mm. cold, cold water. Yeah, cold, cold water, like yeah. really cold trout, troutish water. So it's it's you know end of May, right? It's give it a bit of time to warm up. I bet I bet mid June, end of June, like June two four, bass opener. I bet that's when it's going to be bass like on fire. Are always ferocious and very catchable in Lake Tomogamy. It. I've never been in a situation here where when we decide to go out bass fishing where we, we don't have a good time and catch a lot of fish. It's just, you look for some rocks, you cast off, yeah. change it up a little if it's not working, and you always get something, and, and especially off docks, yeah. you know, cottage docks, it works really well. It's some of the other fish that uh, are, are tricky. You know, you got to really have an attention, pay attention to structure and, and weather and depth and that sort of thing, whereas bass just seem to be everywhere. You know, yeah. we've caught bass uh, with dipsy divers at 50 feet. We've caught bass in swamps. We've caught bass when we're going for a walleye on a rock shelf. We yep. catch bass on everywhere there's bass. Yep. But, you know, lakers and, and walleye, at least for me, they're, they're elusive fish. They're, they're winter fish for me. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, getting down deep like that, and it's really tough. So when you guys are saying, oh, we're going to go uh, catch some lakers with, with flies, it's just like, 
I don't even, it does not compute to me. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Like, well, you, you got to thread the needle, I guess, with timing, with, with top water. Absolutely. We didn't end up trying for the, for the electrons. Flat yeah. out ice off. You got to go ice off, right? Yeah, and we were really like thinking soaking. pike, though. It was more yeah, of a yeah, pike. We, we, we focused, focused, on, trip, yeah. we focused yeah. on pike. Yeah, that we really did. That's true. And specs. Yeah. Yeah. And specs. Yeah. So I take that back, actually. We didn't focus on Lakers at all. That just would have been nice if it happened. And it was yeah. also, but yeah. it was also a thing where we were like, man, we should totally do that. But I, th- I think we were a bit late because it's basically like soaking for Lakers when you use spin, right? You soak for them. You just your bait just floating mm-hmm. shallow, mm-hmm. two, three feet below the surface. And what about the pike? The pike's always been good, too. It, it, it's, there's big pike and... and the great thing about this area too is if you're if you're going to go for pike, you don't have to go out into the big lake and have all this gear. There's a lot of smaller lakes with with uh, uh, very accessible uh, pike fisheries that you can get to in a canoe and and catch big ones too. You know, we were talking about that with Doug. Uh, they were doing some some counting. You know, I, I didn't even know this was a thing, but they went into Castles Lake and they were netting fish and counting them no to see see what was going on and to see what kind of fish were there. And they they had a pike in that net that was ginormous, you know, yeah. high forties, low fifty inch sort of thing. And to know that something like that is swimming oh, there, swimming out there keeps yeah. you up at night. They're always there, but there's a reason why they they're that big. They don't get cat, they don't get caught, right? Like they, they're smart fish. So much for them to eat up here. They're eating squirrels and yeah, yeah. Well, it's like Doug said. He the, he often cleans a pike for uh, for customers. And there's a snake or a chipmunk or a red squirrel or a turtle in their bellies. You know, they they turtle. Yeah, that's they, so good. Yeah, so they're ferocious fish. We should I, do turtle flies. Yeah. Turtle flies. Why not? You. <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when Probably. we when we met up with Doug yesterday, yeah. he was eating a moose sandwich. Is that what that was? That was a moose. That was a moose sandwich. That was that moose sandwich. Yeah, so good. Yeah. He was eating a moose sandwich. Yeah, that was moose meat. 100%. I thought it, I was looking at it. I was like, "Oh, it looks like a sausage or something." No, they were they were strips of moose moose strips. I've seen I've I've, I've seen him eat those before, and that's what he was eating. That's what he eats. Imagine. He doesn't <laughs> he doesn't need to shop for food. The only thing that guy needs to buy is canola oil. Yeah, you know, a little bit of fruit, maybe some flour. <laughs> yeah, salt, you know, salt, flour, and canola oil, and he could live forever. So good, wow. man. Yeah. A moose sandwich. Come on. Sandwich. And that sandwich looked good too. I was looking at it. I was like, "Is that a restaurant?" Because I yeah, might order one. Yeah. <laughs> it would have made you one up. <laughs> would have smeared some pickled sucker over it. Oh, would have been baby. fantastic. That would have been something else. I'm, yeah, I don't know if I could do the pickled suckers. No. SoFly should have a, a an event called the Pickled Sucker Challenge. Like Where you just get, you get one of Doug's jars of pickled sucker, and who can ever eat the most pickled sucker? They would <laughs> like a, a Simpsons rod or something like that. You could do that like as a fundraiser. Yeah, we just like bet people bet on us. Oh man, we can eat the most pickled sucker challenge. That sounds pretty interesting. It's, it's a fundraiser for the Anti Halitosis League. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wasn't yeah. as grossed out. Yeah, I wasn't as grossed out as you guys. I don't see the problem. No. No. Go on. I would have eaten it. If you guys told me you want oh, to try right. some, I would have. Oh, I would have tried it. Yeah, I would have tried. Yeah, definitely tried. You don't yeah. think I would have liked it? I don't know. I, I've had too many people say, "Yeah, it's not for me." You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Oh, I would have totally tried it, but I'm trying maybe to think on about toast, like spread on toast. 
Is spread like crude, like, yeah. like yeah, I, we used to do that. My dad and I, like on fishing trips, we used to do like you just cook brook trout, but then you flake it with a with a right, fry. okay, yeah, and yeah. then you put it on, you put it on the. I feel like this uh, pickled toast. I feel like pickled sucker probably goes on more like peanut butter. It's just yeah. not a nice image in my head, <laughs> you know, like a paste. You, of put, some you kind. put a base of peanut butter and then you put pickled sucker on it. That's pretty whack, man. I just like the sound of pickle sucker. What's that old joke? You know, you how do you eat pickled sucker? You, you 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 cook up the sucker. You put it on some toast, fry it in the pan. You put it on the toast, and then you throw the pickled sucker away and eat the pan. There's, there's an old joke. You know, no. You just I made did, up. You I just tried, made up an old joke. I just tried to make oh, up an old joke. That's the best. This it. is the best. Yeah. I love it. Variation. It actually, it's it's a goose hunting joke. Like, yeah. how, how do you cook a goose? Yeah. Well, first you get a pot of boiling water. Yeah. And you throw a couple of rocks in it to boil the rocks. Yeah. And then you put the goose in to cook with the rocks. And then when the goose is cooked, you throw the goose into the bush and eat the rocks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I had a great grandfather who said the same story about yeah. carp. Yeah. And eating a shingle was involved. Yeah. It's a great joke. I love that. It's good. And it's so true. But pickled sucker, like yeah. trying to imagine when we were looking at it in the jar, what it would taste like. So I was imagining pickle, the taste of a pickle. And then I was imagining like a really fishy. It's not, it's not like dill pickled sucker. Yeah, exactly. It's like salted, pickled, pressure canned. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Wait, 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 yeah. wait. Maybe it would taste like, like, like herring. Like, not not herring. Herring. Like herring. No. Maybe? No? You not think, at all? Well, I don't know. I think of herring as sweet. You know, it's a little bit of like a sweet pickle. Yeah. But it, they say it's kind of like that. But what I think we need to do uh, is get a jar of his... Of his of his sucker, Should and the next it? the next podcast we we eat some. Oh, that'd be a good. <laughs> and idea. we describe it. Let's we just, do it. Yeah. We just get yeah. that that jar. Let's take a pickle post. sucker. Let's go there. Let's yeah. grab one and come back. Oh, he'll give us some pickled sucker. <laughs> Probably asleep right I, now. I can get us. Yeah. I can yeah. get us some pickled sucker. We should totally do that. Yeah. Well, uh, awesome, this sucker talk is great, uh, but let's talk about that bacon. That we had for oh, breakfast. Oh, the bacon. Yeah, I've never had bacon like this in my entire life. You need to explain. Well, the what's bacon. Going on there. I, I got the pork belly. Uh, uh, Dirk down at uh, our daily bread, the supermarket in town. He ordered it for me, and uh, then I cured it for seven days in coffee grounds, salt, brown sugar, and garlic, and then smoked it for four hours with applewood. Jesus, do you hear that, folks? Oh. Yeah. That's what we ate every morning. Yeah, we did too. It was every so, morning, it was so, so good. good. Yeah, it's, it's, and we also hooked, we cooked up some venison last night. Yeah, the uh, the venison rack. Uh, that was, you know, I've never cooked a venison rack like that before. And yeah. the the amazing thing is when you and my wife will laugh when she hears me say this, but when you actually use a meat thermometer and you take it off when you it's at the desired temperature, yeah. the results are good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it works. So, so that worked. We we had it um, slightly over medium rare. I think I think we did it again. I would set a sixty five. I'd take it off at 63 and I think you'd have a it, it was it, I had some more rare yeah, yeah I had a rare yeah. it was good yeah, yeah. it was so tender that people think about people think about venison and then they think oh it's like it's hard and it's gamey but like that that was not the case and, and you said it's because uh, they're from um, Huntsville and stuff like yeah and they it, eat different stuff than than in southern Ontario where there's a lot of corn they do I, I think um a big part of how venison tastes as well is how it's dealt with after it's been killed. So first of all, a deer dropping where it's been shot is a big deal. You know, you want you want that deer to run 
as little as possible because it builds up lactic acid. Mm-hmm. And that's the lactic acid is the game taste. So a super gamey deer is, or super gamey animal in general is one that's gone for a long run after being shot, that's under stress, um, and it built up lactic acid. So that deer uh, was dealt with well, and, and our butcher, who's part of our group, Brian Schmeler, phenomenal fly fisherman, I might add, by the way. He's a guy you'd want to be uh, fly fishing with. He, uh, he's got a butcher shop in Guelph, Valeriate Meats, and a Valeriate Flying Food uh, Market. They've got a great butcher shop in there. And we get the full real deal service. You saw how nice that was Frenched. Oh, like yeah. the, the, it looked like a rack of lamb. So. It did, yeah. And then, so we get the great cuts from the animal from him. So, so wait, wait. Tell us about. Sorry, I know Mitch. I know we got time on this, but I want I want, um, I want Eric to talk about the the heart story. Yeah. So that deer, after uh, you know, we dressed it. Uh, we all ate a chunk of the heart. We've done that a few times actually. The deer we and, ate last night. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. Hurt. So. It sounds like it's a gross thing to do, and it, you're you're weirded out by it a little bit. But the actual uh, taste of it, uh, it's mild. It's a little ironing, so you can taste the blood. But it's by no means gross or anything like that. And Look. and it's probably not recommended by the you know the, the regs to do that. But we've done it a few times, and and we don't regret it. Would it be kind of like a little bit of clever? Uh, yeah, like uh, giblets. Yeah, and and I've also kept a few hearts and uh, grilled them up. So you you clean a heart out, a deer heart out, and it's an amazing cut of meat. So you, I, I think it just sounds so spiritual to yeah, me. I would do. Yeah, it. I would, totally would. Yeah. yeah, the arenda. You know, you absorb the spirit of the animal. Yeah, exactly. It's old school. Yeah. Badass. That's what and, it is. And what was that movie? Red Dawn. Remember? Red Dawn. In Red Dawn, when he ate the heart. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's kind of the first uh, uh, portrayal of it in uh, pop media. You know, <laughs> so wait, you guys got shot the deer, and on the on the right out on the field, cut out the heart. Yeah, you you, you dress the it. animal, and, and that means basically getting the guts out of it and getting it cool as quickly as possible. So yeah. Once a deer's on the ground, you want that chest cavity propped open and get some airflow and clean and get it back to uh, uh, a temperature, uh, a much lower temperature. So. Yeah. So you got all these guts lying on the forest floor, and we carefully take the heart out. And uh, someone always takes the heart to eat. I mean, it's it's if, if there's multiple deer, and, and and we've, or we we did we just don't happen to to be doing it at that point. Uh, the heart's a great uh, a great piece of meat. It's mm-hmm. it's it's overlooked by everybody, and and we started grilling them, marinating them, eating them raw, eating them raw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Yeah. That's awesome. What's your best tomogamy story? I wouldn't say this is my best tomogamy story, but in terms of fishing, it's totally freaky. A couple years ago, uh, I, was, I, well, I was told the story a couple days ago by uh, Roxanne's husband. Roxanne and her husband own a, a dive school on in tomogamy up oh. on Net Lake. On Net Lake. On Net Lake. Oh. And. It's it's a great great thing they're doing there, and they're they're certifying people. He's a phenomenal diver. Her husband. So scuba diving is a pretty. It's kind of a thing here. I think it's becoming a thing here, and the, the reason people are coming here to do it is because your your course is never canceled due to weather. 
Yeah. A lot of times, apparently, I'm not a scuba diver, but I've been told that you'll book a trip at Tobermory and you'll show up there and it's, it's, a, it's a washout because you just can't get out there because of the weather. Because of the weather. So you still have to pay the instructor. You still have to pay yeah. everything? Yeah. At Tobermory. Yeah. So oh, man. What, the, the situation here is much more weather friendly. It's, it's very unlikely your, your, your dive... Uh, your dive course will be yeah. canceled due to weather, yeah. um, and they're also doing deep, deep diving here. Mm-hmm. So they're they're teaching technical, uh, industrial, 100, commercial yeah. diving yeah. down a couple hundred feet, welding yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. But her husband was telling me the story where him and his stepson were diving a rock face mm-hmm. out near Devil Mountain in the north part of the lake, up near Camp Kewaden. They're down about sixty feet. And this is only two or three years ago, I think that's what he said, and uh, an eight-foot sturgeon swam by them at 60 feet down. So insane. It's insane to think to, to know that those guys are, are swimming around out mm-hmm. there. And he says he sees lot, lots of big fish when he does these dives. I can't, like, so I can't believe there's sturgeon in Lake Tamagami. Yeah. There's sturgeon in a lot of, the, in a lot of uh, like northern lakes, like northern Ontario, northern Quebec. Yeah. They, they just live there. They're just not a sports fish. Yeah. So you don't really hear about it. Yeah. There's sport fish out west, though. Yeah. I know on the uh, yeah. Columbia and Fraser and, Fraser and those yeah. rivers, they, they target them. And yeah. Big 10-foot fish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's insane. Imagine scuba diving seeing an 8-footer. That's pretty cool. Scuba diving is yeah. becoming a thing up here. That's interesting. Yeah. It, it, and I, I think that's... It's one of the things that they have to start doing up here is finding other ways to... Um, monetize the community other than extractive resource type industries such yeah. as logging and mining yeah. um, because you know no matter no matter how successful those operations are they're very finite they're finite you know exactly. uh, recreational canoeing backcountry camping scuba diving uh, these are things that they just they're, they're, they're so renewable and and you know, they're actually better for everybody. Yeah, they're better for everybody. And, and you know, we, we've always thought that the the key to, to making sure that this place stays the way it is is to, to get as many people um, as we can to have a vested interest in its preservation. You know, Definitely. The, yeah. the more people you get up here, it's not just a blip at the bottom of your Google News that, you know, a mining claim is being enacted in, on yeah. Wolf Lake and they're going to start drilling. Well. I've been to Wolf Lake, and I know a lot of people that we rent canoes to. And for trips, have been to Wolf Lake, and I'll fucking tell you, if you go to Wolf Lake, there's no way in hell you're going to stand by and and just say, "Oh yeah, that's great. Maybe we should just go blow the whole area up and pull out some bauxite." Yeah, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. So, so it can employ some people for three or four years, and and, and then completely and, ruin the lake, and and and, and devastate the area, and, and, and ruin the economy. Yeah. It's not. It's actually worse for the economy. Yeah. Well, so. because like now you don't get these tourists. Yeah, it's mining. So yeah, so um, and you know there, there's strong groups, but one one thing that this this area has really been good at. Uh, is fighting uh, a lot of those initiatives, logging and mm-hmm. mining and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, it started in the 70s, early 70s, with uh, the, the ski resort they wanted to put at Shibeijing or Maple Mountain. And that just that just blew up up here. You know, that was, really? a, that was a very important place for the Tomogamy First Nations and, and other First Nations in the area. Yeah. And um, it was a total insult to think we should just put a ski resort on on a, a place that important. And, and the same thing with the, the Wakimika Triangle in, in the late 80s, the Tomogamy Chainsaw Massacre. We all had those T-shirts. Um, mm-hmm. They were going to cut down an, an old-growth forest 
And the, the, the thing that blows my mind about that is, yeah, you know, it would have employed some people, but it was such a small amount of real employment for yeah. the region. Uh, it didn't make any sense to me. You know, you're going you're gonna to have a sawmill run for a couple of years, and then that's gone. The old growth. You know, How just, old are those trees that have been? Those trees are 400 years old. Oh you know, it's, it would have made more sense for the Ontario government to just say, we will give the region uh, an extra employment boost of $1.8 million or something, because that's the same amount of money yeah. it probably would have been to deal with the sawmill and get that happening in the, in the sale of it. So. Yeah of employing the locals mm-hmm. and none of that money really stays here. It, it leaves and, and it's just exploited. Yeah, it's exploited yeah. So, um, you know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for everybody that everyone needs to have a job and, and feed their family and that sort of thing. But at some point you, we just have to look back there and realize that there's a resource there. That's, that's not unlike, uh, other places in the world where we might travel halfway around the world to get to, to have a vacation. And, this is this is that kind of place, you know. It's yeah. it's an untouched wilderness that's accessible, and that's a rare thing in the world. Yeah. I went to St. Lucia, and Alex, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but I went to St. Lucia for a week, seven days, and it was great. But nothing beats the relaxation of the four, five, four and a half days that I've been been here, for sure. Yeah, it is like it's like if you know if we were in somewhere else in the world and talking about Canada and going to Canada, like it's kind of like the place you picture. When you think about Canada, I, at least for me, I think about Ontario and the Northern Wilderness and like yeah. Tomogamy. It's like so, it's like really, it's just like every, you just looking around and every single time you look somewhere, it's a different image. It's a different shot. You, know? you really have some, some prime pristine examples of boreal forest up here as well. You know, you see yeah. that uh, everywhere you turn, like you're saying, it's a group of seven painting. Yeah, exactly. You see, you yeah. see these amazing rock faces with twisted bent pines, yeah. and it's so obvious here where the prevailing winds are because most of the trees bend in the opposite direction. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing place, and, and uh, it, it just uh, it has to be protected. It, it would be it would be it ignorant and a shame uh, not to make sure that this doesn't stay the way it is for for yep. long. As we're around, is um, Queensland not Queensland? Um, Crown Crownland. Yeah. Is, is it protected or no? Can, uh, can like company no. come and buy it? I no. If if it, it, it's not, uh, it happens occasionally when when the government sells crown land. The federal government sells crown land, um, but typically what happens with crown land is uh, a lot of it. There's mining claims. There's uh, uh, forestry uh, blocks that, that forestry companies have a timber right to. Um, it's not unheard of that crown land is turned into uh, uh, industrial zones and that sort of thing. But so far up here, the crown land seems to be part of these canoe routes. And uh, you never know, though. Um, it, it's sort of like a, a, a day one ground zero uh, for industry up here. If you really look at it, I'm not saying that there hasn't been industry and, yeah. and there's certainly been a lot of logging, but at, at the end of the day, it, it's still pretty much intact. And um, there's decisions to be made at, at the higher levels uh, to decide, you know, what it is they they they're in for, and you know, protect it. Certainly, it's better for tomogamy outfitting if that forest stays there. So, I think it's better for everyone, yeah. even for people that don't see that forest. Yeah. I think it's still better for them. Yeah, I was interested to find out that uh, 
the permafrost and boreal forest is the world's largest store of carbon. Really? Yeah. So as the as the climate changes and warms up, that carbon is released, and the more you cut down of the boreal forest, you know, the more carbon's released. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Well, we're all in trouble if that happens. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, like this area should one hundred percent be protected, and I think you're totally right. And it's the same thing with fly fishing in that. People who fly fish care more about fish. Yeah, and rivers. And rivers and lakes and ponds. And that extends into just the wilderness in general. But, like, I, I've, not, I've never met anybody, uh, just a regular person who doesn't fly fish or fish or have any attachment to the wilderness who gives a shit about a rainbow trout or a brook trout. You talk to a fly fisherman about a brook trout, yeah. and they're, like, the most passionate about protecting that fish. Like we, you know, and it's because we're, we haven't invested, we, we've, we've, you know, become passionate about fishing. So we become really attached to these things. In terms of waterway protection, though, nothing is more threatened than rivers. I yeah. Mean, they're, they're constantly being altered and dammed and, and polluted and spills and, and changed and dumped into. And it's, they're the most threatened waterways, I would imagine. You know, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm. I, I love paddling rivers and I've done a lot of whitewater paddling and, uh, a big a big part of that community is protecting these rivers and, and dealing with dams and that sort of thing. Yeah. Because we, we have to protect them to, to use them. Yeah. Right? Like, in, like by using them, you become aware, more but, aware of them. And uh-huh. That's why you start paying more attention to them. At yeah. the end of the day, though, you need, uh, you need that hydro so you can go home and listen to your Christina Aguilera record. <laughs> I know. I so, love Who told you I'm going to go listen to my <laughs> Christina Aguilera <laughs> She's the album. best. Yeah. <laughs> well, the fishing here, the wilderness here, the paddling here, everything about Tomogamy is amazing. You should, like, totally check it out, honestly. If you're a fan of Ontario, it's, your, it's in your backyard, really. And, you know... 100%. And if you're not from around Canada or you're not from around Ontario or anything like that, check it out because, like, it's, like, fucking where it's happening, man. Like, you know, like, I go to upstate New York to fish all the mm-hmm. time, and it's like, oh, this is am- It's like a change of scenery for me. If you're up from upstate or, you know, Vermont or, up, like, any of the states coming up here would be, like, it's exactly that. It's just, you know, welcome to Canada, right? There's one thing, too, that they don't have, like, when you see the Adirondack and you know, Brook Trout, it's like small stream. It's like six inches, twelve inches when you're lucky. Here yeah. we're talking like brook trout, like, and, and like ten inches to twenty. And lakes and everything else too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And lakes. Yeah, like, that's where they they live in. Like you see, you see southern Ontario, same thing. Kind of like with the states, the brook trout population yeah. are small. Yeah. They're very recluse. Yeah. But here you get the experience with the boreal forest, kind of eastern. Like real brook trout. Like mm-hmm. what, what's interesting too, though, is especially for you guys. And we were talking about this earlier when we were when we were setting up this this, this weekend. No one fly fishes up here. It's not a thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's you, you have the opportunity as fly fishermen. There's a lot of people that fish up here. Don't get me wrong. Well, that's but the thing. Fly yeah. fishing. Like going to these little yeah. rivers and streams and, and, and looking for them and finding them. There's so little data on river fishing here, and we're covered in rivers. Yeah. But there's no data on it because I, I have no recollection, apart from last week, uh, Troy and, and Andrew coming up from uh, New York, mm. um, 
it, it was sort of weird because you guys were coming the following week and said, oh, so people fly fish up here. Like, we're, we're going to give it a go. Yeah. And um, you could be part of the beginning of discovering a region for that. That's, yeah. And I think that's kind of cool. You know, you, you, you want to be in on the ground floor on something. Right? Otherwise, you're just sort of, you yeah, know, you a Christina along. Aguilera fan. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. What are you going to say? You just wanted to say absolutely. Am I, am I alienating <laughs> your Christina Aguilera uh, podcast <laughs> followers? No, not but yeah, fans but of her? For me, I, think I am. Like, I'm from it, Quebec. We tried to get it as yeah. our music or our theme music, yeah. but it was a But you got a season to assist. We got us a couple of them and finally she said like, no. okay, fine, yeah. you know. But, but yeah, Kev, uh, like, Tamagami was not a region that I knew, like, almost anything about. I've been to on the Quebec side, close to here, yeah. uh, Abitibi yeah. and Mistassini around there, but the Ontario part never. And since I moved to Southern Ontario, and we like fly fish Southern Ontario, like brown trout and stuff. But coming up here, which is not like like you just said, people fish here, but they don't necessarily fly fish. Yeah. Well, it's, it becomes a, an adventure in the sense that we're looking for looking for fly fishing opportunities because mm-hmm. we're not going. The jig warms twenty feet down. Well, you gotta, you gotta hunt your fish down. And that's the thing. The, the spin guys and bait casting guys are a lot of the time. A lot of the fishing that happens up here is like you say, down rigging and out of a boat with um, you know jigs and stuff like that. Gear and gear, yeah. But for fly fishing wise, like all these little back lakes and ponds and rivers and streams, like it's pretty awesome. It's amazing like, opportunities. And- well, we fished a lake yesterday that was like insane pike water with oh, yeah. amazing like structure for a fly. Oh, the, the, these lakes are amazing opportunities for for and for uh, like big fish, different fish. species as well. Because you, yeah. you cast a fly to that that uh, underground pine, uh, underwater pine trees, and you might catch a bass. Mm-hmm. There might be a pike in there, maybe a walleye if you like yeah, them. Walleye, yeah, 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 I love walleye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, but yeah, that's what makes it great. And then these fish, because people don't fly fish here, and they might have seen a rapala passing by, but like something. Made out of fur and hair and feathers that just act different. They've never seen that before, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the next step, though, for you guys is to go do the Lady Evelyn River. They're called the Trout Streams. So it's right up my alley. They're called the Trout Streams. When? Anytime you guys want to do it. Done. You got, you got, you got my backing. Awesome. So I'd love to, to hook you guys up to get out there. Thank you for it's, that. It's a, we are down. It's a haul. Yeah, but it's gorgeous, and it's you know every time I've paddled that, unfortunately, we really we've never really had enough time to f- focus on fishing, and we you know we, we weren't fly fishermen, yeah. so but there are so many spots on that that you just you're at the base of a waterfall, and and you're saying to yourself, if there's not a speckled trout swimming around under that waterfall, I'm a horse's ass. Yeah, exactly. And you know apparently we're all horses' asses. We can never <laughs> catch them, but yeah. um, they're there. And uh, you guys should go. Flies you know, right if, gear, if, right? if you guys had some self-respect and some dignity, you'd, you'd get out there and, and <laughs> do Bear, it. Bob Bear, Christina Aguilera, yeah, all the way. Exactly. Bring that with you yeah. on one of those little, <laughs> you, you know, Bluetooth speakers. You can. We're definitely down for that. Yeah. Okay. Right. What do you think, y'all? Yeah, I'm down for it. You know, yeah. I was scared of bears before I got here. I guess because you know, face my ignorance. A, no, wait, don't. I was a new man. No, I'm a, but I, I'm not anymore. So simple as that. I'm not, yeah, I'm not. I'm just not. 
Yoma, you're faster than all of us. Yes, I am. You know, you, you're not the one getting eaten by the bear. It's going to be me. Yeah. Right? Sweet bitch. Who do you guys think would it be? Who would it be? Who do you think? I think that because I'm stupid sometimes, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, that could be cool. I think I could die. I think I could Because you'd go try to... I'm not trying to start, try something. Maybe not. I'm not pretending I would tackle the bear, but maybe like try something to distract it. Or, yeah. I know what I'm just I would being do. stupid, you know, yeah. like using my slingshot. Hey, maybe if we, I, I'd watch all you guys run away and the bear chase you, and I would just leisurely walk away. <laughs> yeah, I, but but that, that's the thing, though. I'm not really scared of the wildlife. Like I respect wildlife. That's it. No but it doesn't. That. It doesn't scares me. Yeah. There have so been like, two problem bears up here in recent memory. In 1982 on Hobart Lake, which is uh, getting up to the, the north, northernmost part here near Shibeijing, Maple Mountain. And that was in 1982, and someone was... I think they were attacked. I don't think they were uh, they were killed, though. And in 2001, I think it was, there was a, la- a, a bear called the Diamond Lake Bear. And every night for the entire summer, it just turned over campsites. So if you're in a campsite... Bear would come through and sort of like rip your tent, like steal your food, you know, bite a canoe in half, whatever. But no one got hurt. It was just... You just fuck your shit up. Bear just come around and fuck your shit up and leave. And it happened... that's awesome. It happened every night, apparently, that summer to the point where people just weren't camping on Diamond Lake in 2001. And at the end of Diamond Lake, as you go into the port, uh, finish the lake and you're, you're portaging into the next lake, there's a sign that says... Uh, it's like a ministry sign. Someone went through the trouble of making a real steel sign. It says, this area is inhabited by bears. Uh, here's how you protect yourself. <laughs> by an asshole. And <laughs> I have seen that sign nowhere else in all of my trips on Lake Tomogamy in the Tomogamy region. You must the be the only same. place there's a sign that says, watch out for the bear. <laughs> and uh, that's awesome. Watch yeah. out for the bear. Singular. Watch out for the bear. Watch out for the bear. Yeah, yeah. one guy. Badass bear. Yeah. It's his territory, man. Yeah. Maybe he's like, look at the, all these like Torontonians that are on turn coming here and paddling. I'll show them what's wildlife. <laughs> you know, the bear. He's got every right to uh, you know mess with mm-hmm. you if he wants to. Yeah, you know, totally. it's his thing. It's his zone, man. You know, we all take a risk. And he's not violent. Like, he doesn't beat anyone. He's just he's just a bully. It's a question we get at the shop all the time. You know, people, a lot of people want to go do this, and a lot of people picture themselves undertaking this activity and and, yeah. and camping and that sort of thing. But a lot of people say, "Well, what about bears? What do I do about bears? Do I hang my barrel? Do I hang my this? Do it?" You know, and and I'll say, bears. I'm not saying that they don't exist, but it's it's really a, it's a rare thing that that you have a bear in your sight or there's an, a, a, a a bear that's an issue. The bears that we see when we're in the backcountry, once they see us, every single time they've bolted. Yeah. And you hear it for five minutes of them just trying to put as much distance between you and them as possible. Mm-hmm. So that that's my experience experience with bears. Um, and a lot of people say, "Do I hang my food in the barrel? Uh, what should I do?" And I don't recommend people do food hangs, and I have a few reasons for that. I'm curious to hear. Well. The one time I was really focused on doing a food hang, we had our food in the barrel and we got the rope up over the branch and my friend Sean is up there cranking the barrel up to hang it from the tree and the branch snapped and a 75 pound barrel came uh, crashing down and he had to dive out of the way. Now if that had hit him on the head, he would have broken his neck or died. So hanging a heavy item 
on a tree that you don't really know the, the structural integrity of the branch you're hanging it from is problematic. Secondly, bears can climb trees. Yeah, exactly. Very, yeah, well, that's what very I've well. so always wondered. So, you know, basically you're just giving the bear a bit of activity like a pinata before, yeah. before they get into your barrel. So They can also just sit there and stare at the thing. And, and Hap Wilson, in his book, talks about the same thing. He says, he does not do bear hangs. Mm-hmm. He keeps a clean sight and he keeps his food airtight. And a great thing to do is in your food barrel, on your, you close up your food barrel and you put your pots and pans on top of it open. So if an animal, a bear comes around, right. it knocks over your food barrel, scares it, there's clanking, it's scares crazy, yeah. scares the bear. And it also wakes you up and alerts you to a yeah, situation. Yeah, that's so you're not getting out to take a leak and you're nose to nose with the uh, yogi. That's a tip of the show. It's that's just a tip of the show right there. Yeah. That's a good tip. Yeah. yeah. Tip yeah. of the show. Yeah. Just be smart. Yeah. And nothing will happen. Yeah. Or it will be minimal. Pre cook your bacon at home before you leave and back seal it. Yeah. yeah. Cooking bacon cool. brings the bears out. That's right. the. Uh, I can imagine, yeah. yeah. It brings everyone's out. Yeah. And then the grease, you just kind of spray it around in different spots of the forest. You rub it on Yoma's head <laughs> for conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, how do people get in touch with Tamagami Outfitting? Uh, they can go to our website, tamagamioutfitting.ca, and our phone number and all that stuff is on there. Uh, we've got a form you can fill out. We've got all the information about the trips we do, the services we offer. And uh, we're just we're just looking forward to getting more people up uh, up to Tomogamy and, and putting them out in the bush. Absolutely. You guys should totally check it out. We'll have a link to the website in the uh, show notes. And uh, honestly, man, thanks so much for having us up. It's been truly a pleasure. It was it's been so such good. a good weekend. Thanks so much for having us out. It was amazing. I think we'll do it again. Whenever you guys want to come up, right, it's cool. waiting for you. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we'll do a show then, too. Yeah. Love good. it. Love it. Done. And uh, shout out to our uh, sponsor, Bob Cajun, sending us a bunch of beer that we drank. It feels like really quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. Delicious. There was a lot of them. Yeah. That was good. They should know how slippery their beverage is. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's super slippery. Yeah, it's super slippery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, thanks for listening to uh, episode 10, I think. And... Uh, Take it easy.